Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Nintendo Watcher Podcast. I'm Justin, joined as always by my co-host, Matthew. Matthew, what is up? Hey, Justin, big episode tonight. We got a special guest. It's going to be great. Yeah, huge guest tonight, Rhea, the Glimmering Harpy herself. What's up? Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. I, we need some some more energy for this particular episode because if we didn't have some way to diffuse it, I would maybe explode and Justin would uh, you know, have a real hard time uh, with the episode. So I'm glad to have someone else on the pod to talk about this game. It's going to be a good, good time. Thank you for showing up. Yes, like even though I talk to y'all like almost every day on um, Twitter, this is like so um, it's so different actually like hearing y'all's voices, seeing your faces <laughs> yeah. and actually like carrying a conversation at length and not just like pinging back each other on on an app. So yes, I know the dynamic is different, but I'm here. I'm plugged in. I'm ready. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's like Twitter in real life. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to talk about Octopath Traveler 2. That's our, our big topic today. But first... Let's do a quick Q&A to get to know Rhea if you're not familiar with her. Um, where can people find you online? What do you what do you do online? Yeah, like I mostly hang out on Twitter, honestly. Um, I am at uh, uh, Glimmering Harpy uh, on Twitter. And that is my handle across pretty much every platform, Glimmering Harpy. And um, I love doing uh, gaming live streams as well as uh, TV and film podcasts occasionally with a full panel of guests. And I also host a gaming podcast along with uh, Retro Complex, another YouTuber that I'm good friends with for the past couple of years. And we discuss either like retro gaming news or um, uh, modern gaming news. In fact, we're teaming up for another podcast coming up soon. So yeah, um, I do pretty much those things in general. <laughs> That's nice. fantastic. Your, your live streams are awesome and you've got this awesome community around you. Like that that's just it's really cool to watch them even on the playbacks, you know, you've just got a really lively community around you. Yeah, thank you. I owe it all to all of the um folks who have welcomed me into their communities whether it be like the uh TV and film discussion folks or even the uh uh, retro gaming community folks and just through like my organic interaction with interactions with them and them encouraging me to may start making my own content they just started coming through and uh, engaging with it so yeah uh, it's been almost three years basically since the pandemic started that yeah. you know I started you know wandering onto online engaging with people for for interaction because I wasn't getting it IRL. And uh, then I just, you know, said, yeah, let me go ahead and start investing in um, a nice computer, like some hardware, no Gato capture card. Then all my upgrades eventually led to like, you know, me getting a super awesome mic and headset and production quality and all this other stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it became a thing. Uh, and not just like me uh, turning on my MacBook Air um, computer like camera and uh trying to stream from that so yes it's just been an upward trajectory from there <laughs> yeah it's been super cool i was uh you know because we started you know going back and forth on on twitter like you said just you know a lot of you know smaller creators and stuff you know kind of uh welcoming justin and i and and nintendo watcher into the fold and you know um came across you that way you know um and I remember going to your your YouTube page and, and looking at it. And the cool thing is like the film and TV stuff you do. Like, I think that's really awesome. Like the shorts that you do on your YouTube channel in particular, 
because that's content that I don't engage with super often. We're kind of like stuck in this little bubble of, you know, gaming chat, but it's really cool to like have creators out there that are like branching out and doing that other stuff, you know, something like your trailer reacts and your you know responses to different uh, films and TV shows and stuff. It's a really cool, you know, additional side of the, you know, the fandom stuff that we're all into, but we don't engage with as much here, which is super cool to have someone who's like really into that stuff here as well. Yeah. yeah thank you. For sure. And I got to say, before we move on to some of the other questions, you've got to be one of the most selfless creators <laughs> I've ever known, like always pumping other people up, like encouraging people. I love it. And thank you for uh, just pumping us up, too. It's been uh, really awesome to get to know you. Yeah, of course. Like um, there has not been like one interaction that I've had with um, other channels that I don't feel like I've either like learned something from them, whether it be like how to kind of fine tune my own content or even just like be able to pass on some best practices that I know yeah. from my um, my different careers as far as like how to be intentional about how you promote your product. I don't have to give y'all any tips. In fact, I can learn <laughs> some things from y'all. Y'all are so on top of it. I love it. So like, um, yeah, that same enthusiasm and how like one presents their brand and their content. Those are some best practices I love being able to show to other folks who are kind of in the same sort of growth realm as me. And sometimes I get more fulfillment from just like helping others than I do from like creating my own content because I'm like, yeah, I wish I could just do this for you, but like I can't, I can't sustain that. But I can at least like you know like help prop you up and then you know be be selective about how I you know give advice, not so much like unsolicited advice coming at all sides and it just be like you know criticism all around but like more just like being prescriptive and just like understanding i know you don't have like a lot of resources but here are some things that you can do like from that approach yeah for sure for sure all right let's talk about some games so raya let's talk about your first console and your favorite console yes um so my first console that i owned outright was a ps1 Nice. So, yeah. And um, let me see. My favorite console. Ooh, that's got to be the Nintendo Switch currently. Like, it's the most, like, versatile, like, most uh, gives me the most access to as many games as I'm interested in. And um, I also modded my Nintendo Switch so I can pretty much play all nice. of the retro con uh, consoles that I either grew up with, actually have memories of, or I'm interested to dive my toe into. So, yeah, that'll be it. That's nice. super cool. What about your your favorite genre of game? Oh, it's got to be role playing games. So I'm trying to right break on. this habit of like calling them JRPGs because I noticed <laughs> yeah. that the conversation around them, especially this year, is like, well, why do we need to specify them as Japanese role playing games? And I'm right. just like, you you have a point. There are role playing games, just like you know we call uh, Western role playing games like that without the the first letter. So yeah, um, I totally agree. So yeah, RPGs are definitely my go-to genre for sure. Yeah, the, the Discord, I remember it blowing up a couple of weeks back and I was like, you know, I've never thought of it that way, right? I'm a big Final Fantasy 14 player and I think it was uh, Naoki Yoshida from Final Fantasy 14 that kind of kickstarted that. He he made some comments about it around Final Fantasy 16 um, that really got people talking about that conversation. It was like, I've, I've never really thought about why I call them that. It's just the term that showed up in all my EGMs back in the day when I was, you know, reading physical gaming magazines growing up. Um, and at the same, you know, but it's become so blended in recent years. That it's like, what's the point of separating that when so much of what, you know, everyone's doing is, is homage to each other that, uh, we've, you know, we've worked on trying to pull away from that as well. Um, 
as as big time RPG fans over here. So Justin and I, that is, I think, our preferred genre as well, as many listeners uh, are are well aware. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, funny you mentioned RPGs being your favorite genre, since we are going to be talking about maybe the biggest RPG of the year in this podcast. Um, tell us about your most memorable and or your most important RPG for you as a gamer? Oh, that's got to be Pokemon Gold. So um, the first Game Boy I ever received was a translucent purple Game Boy Color, along with a copy of Pokemon Gold. Before that, I would have to play my cousins, um, used uh, Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue on their on their respective Game Boys, and I didn't really have one to take home and play on my own um, as often as I want until that translucent purple came to my life with uh, Pokemon Gold. And that was the first uh, game that really just was so immersive. I think I started playing it. Um, I'm sure it probably came out in the fall, like most Pokemon games do. I've, uh, I'm drawing a blank. It was, I definitely know it was 2000. And I would just like play it for months and months. And I think I accumulated maybe 300 hours. I know that might not be much to a lot of folks, but as a kid, being able to uh, see how much time I accumulated on it and how much I hadn't even accomplished yet. um, There was a point where I I hit a blocker where I couldn't even progress to get to the next um, point uh, to get like maybe the seventh or eighth badge. I think there was a lighthouse uh, puzzle that I wasn't aware of how to get past uh, to get to the the sick Ampharos. I don't know if like these words mean anything to y'all for Pokemon Gold, but yes, there was just a blocker there for the lighthouse that I did not know how to reach that point to. to. So I was just like, well, what do I do now? Let me just, you know, go ahead and grind and uh, catch Pokemon and keep doing the bug hunting uh, challenges and stuff. So there was just a lot of content in that game that kept me preoccupied as a kid. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's uh, one of the most... um, resonant memories of gaming if not like rpgs in my life for sure even to this day that's cool because that there's something about that age right like the game boy era i think we're all around probably the same age you know give or take a few years but um you know i remember around the game boy color you know i had maybe two or three games for an entire console cycle outside of renting them from like blockbuster or something so any game that could get you you know, triple digit hours was just, you know, that was, that was the, the treat for, for the system. And I think Pokemon for me was huge. It was, uh, blue was, was kind of my, you know, big one. Um, I kind of fell off the series actually, but, um, that leads me to my next question, which is like, have you kept up with Pokemon since gold? Is that a series that you really, you know, uh, hold dear now that you, you know, are, are, further along in the process absolutely every main mainline pokemon game i will pick up day one i um uh whether or not i had a good experience with the last one like (laughs) i will i will go ahead and give um a fair shot to every new generation of game and i'll admit like they've they've been you know sort of like fluctuating in quality um over the years because they're sort of uh take uh test testing different methods of how to approach the tried and true formula of the turn-based combat. Mm-hmm. And um, I I can appreciate, you know, the experimentation for sure and trying to elevate the brand, but I tend to just go back to um, the Game Boy Advance era of Pokemon. I think that's where, like, you know, yeah. it really hit its stride. And that was like a golden peak for, um, uh, for me 
having just like an amazing experience with Pokemon, I always go back to like Pokemon Emerald um, and then just sort of speed run that. Or um, mm-hmm. I like to watch uh, Nuzlocke challenges of that specific uh, mm-hmm. game, if not mods or ROM hacks of those games. With that aesthetic specifically, like something about it is just like, uh, it's just like, uh, I use this term like ocular dopamine. <laughs> I'm just- Yeah. That <laughs> so, sprite work yes. is so good. That sprite work from that era is just some of the, some of the, the cool, like it's not really like the cleanest, but it has some of the most character out of all the, you know, the consoles and handhelds that did sprite work. I think, uh, you know, the recent release of the GBA on Switch has has reminded people of just how good and how well those games hold up. Uh, Justin and I recently um, are, are in the process. I think Justin just finished it. I'm still working through. We we went through Minish Cap, uh, which is another game from that era that just stunning visually. So Looks yeah, amazing. Great stuff great stuff there's so many uh uh games from that era that i just didn't have access to as a kid Mm -hmm. like financially or otherwise and i did learn about emulation down the road but um just like the time to explore them has never really popped up but now that like they're on they're all native on my favorite device ever um yeah yeah, through my subscription service to the nintendo switch online service like yeah like i have every opportunity in the world to finally like check these out because minish cap is definitely one that i did not play growing up right yeah absolutely absolutely all right let's get into the meat of our conversation today matthew is going to lead us through octopath traveler 2 so Octopath Traveler 2 released uh, just about a month ago now, um, give or take. Uh, big new Team Asano game, a, a company within Square Enix, or a, a division within, or team within Square Enix that Justin and I have talked about at length, responsible for the Bravely Default series, um, most recently Triangle Strategy and the Live Alive uh, uh, remaster, remake, whatever you want to call it, re-release, the, the huge phenomenal uh, re-release of Live Alive, first English translation, has recently come out with uh, their sort of new magnum opus, Octopath Traveler 2. This is the second major game in the series, not counting the mobile spinoff. Um, it is the series that started the HD 2D phenomenon, right? Which some people love or hate, question there we're just going to kind of real quick what are your guys' thoughts on that graphical style because i know it gets a lot of flack like when it first came out people really took to octopath Traveler. a lot of people really loved it thought it looked great um there's been i think some fatigue um although not a ton of games in that style but enough that people are starting to you know get a little hesitant so thoughts from you guys i mean you know right where are you at on that do you like the style does it does it work for you or is it a little bit too experimental yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the style. Um, back when I played Octopath uh, Traveler originally, I think it was what, like maybe uh, 2018? Uh, I think that... so, right around then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I adored the graphic style. I think like after five years or so experiencing it now, um, the one thing I do have an issue with is like the, um, what is the word? Um, how to differentiate the planes, like so uh, yeah, foreground, middle ground. And stuff. Yes, exactly. Depth yep. of field. So whenever I'm running around um, in real time with my team and trying to figure out like, okay, is this path, um, am I able to go through this uh, area? Does this bush like overlap with this part of the cave? Does that, <laughs> does that tell me I can actually enter this area? I see like a treasure chest over there. So I'm, I think that I don't see another way to reach there. So that, yeah, the lack of like clarity around, um, 
navigating the map is sometimes an issue, mm-hmm. but it's not like a huge blocker. But if I had anything to criticize about it, it would be that. Yeah. And Justin, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but I'm, I'm not really sure where you're at these days on the style. Is it still something that you find enjoyment or are you getting a little bit of that fatigue? No, you know, I generally like it a lot. Um, but I worry that we don't have enough diversity in um, sort of that pixel art style. You know, like mm-hmm. if you look back at the Super Nintendo games, they're all pixel art, but they have very different styles. Like they look different. Final Fantasy looked different from um, Secret of Mana or something. And I feel like with a lot of the um, HD 2D games, they're just a little samey. You know, mm-hmm. like Octopath looked a lot like Live Alive. Live Alive looked a lot like Octopath, or uh, looked a lot like Triangle Strategy. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like it a lot. I think it's a little oversaturated for me. But all that said, um, I just think it's really awesome. We're getting all these 2D pixel art based games in 2023, 2022, 2021. Like, that's just awesome to me. So, yeah. you know, if it's the lack of diversity and some of the art style, like, I'm okay living with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting style. I think it's one of the things that at least makes these games stand out, right? I mean, you know where these games come from when you see that style, right? It's a Team Asano game pretty much guaranteed. Um, we know they're working a little bit on the Dragon Quest Three uh, remake that's coming out. And hopefully is it? Is it coming? Finished. I don't know. Uh, it, 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 will, it will get here, Justin. It will get here. But, um, you know, so you kind of already answered my my next question, which is just some, some table setting before we jump into this, because... For a lot of people, Octopath Traveler 2 is their first experience with the series. I'm seeing a lot of people are you know, jumping into it for the first time. They never really played the first one, or the first one just didn't mesh with them very well. A lot of people that are enjoying 2, I heard, fell off of 1, didn't really uh, click for them for various reasons. And so, um, you know, for each of you, um, what was your experience, if any, with the first game? Justin, have you played the first game? I don't recall if, if you actually got too far into it, or if you ever played it. Oh, yeah. I'm like, um, I didn't finish it. I'm I'm like 30 hours into it, 30, 35 Mm -hmm. hours into it. Um, But I don't know if you want to talk about this or you don't want to wait till later, but um, I bounced off of it several times. Like the vignettes give you so many opportunities to bounce off. Other things were coming out and I just couldn't stick with it. Kind of having the same issue with um, Octopath 2. But we can yeah. get into that a little we'll more. We'll certainly get to that in, in more depth as we move into the, the story and characters here in a bit. But but I liked um, it a lot. I liked Octopath 1 a lot. I liked the combat system. Um, obviously, the style was really cool and very different at that point. Um, but I just never finished it. Never could finish it. And Ryan, did you... Um, so you played it. Did you beat it, the first... The, the original? I finished the story mode. So I got about 80 to 90 hours in. And um, <laughs> I tried to... I attempted the... Um, uh, the post story like and spoiler uh, boss. Yeah. And, uh, what was the, yes. And, um, uh, trying to locate the secondary jobs and stuff like that. I kind of mm-hmm. got fatigued at that point. So yeah. I was like, well, I, at least I finished the story. I got the gist of, you know, what this game is all about. And I enjoyed my time with it. My feedback though, um, that I think is being improved on in Octopath two that we could talk about more is that with Octopath one, the, um, the paths of each of the travelers were just siloed. And um, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like there was any um, sense of camaraderie with these eight people who are allegedly traveling together, at least like four in your party at most at a time. So I uh, found that that was um, 
I, it's it's sort of like pulled me away from trying to engage with the story a little bit more. They would often have like, mm-hmm. you know, bar banter, things like that. But um, yeah, there was nothing to really like sell me on. Uh, are these people yeah. actually in the same space <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a really good, that's actually a, a perfect segue into the next little section, right? Um, which is, you know, the story and characters of this game, because I think as a an RPG, that is sort of what a lot of, players are looking for you know does it have an interesting narrative that will drag me through you know the dozens of hours i'm expected to spend with it and will i care about those characters that i'm inhabiting during that time the octopath name right is both the name of the series but also an acronym for um you know uh, i guess an acrostic right for the uh character names right there's eight characters in each of these games their names correspond or start with you know one of the letters in octopath um and so these Various eight characters also make up eight distinct narratives, both in the first and the second game. First game got a lot of flack for those narratives really not overlapping until the post game. And even then it was sort of like a ham fisted, you know, late game side quest locked dungeon, right? That had some narrative bites that you could get for doing a boss gauntlet at the end but other than that and a little travel banter they felt very siloed as you said right you know not a whole lot going on octopath traveler makes some changes to this not major it's still eight unique narratives and it's still eight unique characters but there's additional side stories a more satisfying um late game sort of final act that ties all the narratives together and travel banter is largely expanded this time around but before we get into those little bits you know everyone wants to know who'd you pick for your starting character you got eight choices you've got uh eight unique characters and their you know uh personalities who did you guys pick for your starters? And if you wouldn't mind, you know, introduce that character a little bit. Because I kind of want to do a little bit who's all the characters in the game. But um, who did you pick? And could you tell us a little bit about them and why you chose them? Uh, Ryan, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I picked um, Agni. So um, I played the demo, the free three-hour demo. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so um, I transferred my data back over when I started the actual game. And I picked Agni. Um well, her story, before I get into why I picked her, her story is that um, she comes from a small small village and uh, her mom used to be a singer and dancer, bringing joy to a lot of people with, you know, her, her performances. And um, her family, her sisters, she has one sister and uh, a father. Uh, they lost their mother, unfortunately. So um, he is kind of like uh, closed off emotionally and um, he still loves his daughters, but he's just sort of detached. But mm-hmm. uh uh, Agne, the character that I picked to start in Octopath, she is very driven to follow her dream to become a star. That's like her thing is like to become yeah. a star. And um, uh, she is she comes off as like very naive, very sheltered, but she's also very intuitive. She's very like perceptive mm-hmm. of people's, um, you know, they may say one thing, but she can also like see below the surface and, you know, kind of reach into like the and be and connect with them in a yeah. way that, you know, that rough exterior will not allow other people to do. So she has that interpersonal skill, but um, yeah, like her ability to just connect with everyone from different backgrounds with her singing and dancing, just from like a, a fundamental standpoint of just like, uh, mm-hmm. like of, yeah, just like the joy of like, you know, 
seeing someone, you know, do something that they really enjoy and just watching them do, watching them, like having like the time of their life on stage. It brings everyone that she comes in contact with joy. And as saccharine as her story sounds, um, it's actually um, not the reason why I picked her because uh, I had no context of what her yeah. character was like. I actually dove into this because um, her character is a dancer. And in the previous mm -hmm. Octopath Traveler, for folks who played it, they'll be uh, they should be well aware that the dancer character in that story is the complete opposite of, you know, yes. saccharine, um, bright and uh, cheery, bring people happiness type of dancer. Her, her yeah. uh, in Octopath Traveler 1, gosh, I'm forgetting the uh, name of the character off the top of my head, but Primrose. Yeah. Primrose, yeah. yes, yes. Like her backstory is completely dark and um, yeah. like very like vengeance driven. And I, uh, loved her backstory so I was thinking with the oh and then the abilities of of the of the uh dancer class as well I really liked too um what was it uh bewildering dance is a super awesome sometimes OP move that just sort of randomizes battles and what and uh, it can be either good things that happen to your team like oh extra XP or extra um you know money or maybe like um a, a powerful attack um on the enemy or it can like poison all of my team yeah. and deplete all of their um uh their sp <laughs> so yes i um i enjoy the the randomness of that move too and yeah, yeah all those reasons are why i picked um agne tldr <laughs> even I, though that I've, was really long <laughs> i boosted uh, i've i've boosted that skill more than a few times been hit with the hp to one followed up by like a low damage attack and just wiped my entire party um which is you know part of the joy of of that skill but um Justin, what about you? Uh, who'd you start with? What was your pick? So my pick was a direct reaction to my pick from Octopath Traveler 1. Because okay. in the first one, I went with the Scholar. I can't remember what his name uh -huh. was. Um, um, that was uh, in Octopath 1. Oh, my gosh. Cyrus. Yeah, it's Cyrus. You know, I just kind of got tired of using magic all the time. Like He was a fine character, but got kind of bored with it. So this time I was like, I'm going to go with like the blunt force instrument, the <laughs> warrior, uh, Hikari. Nice. I thought nice. the character design was really nice. He reminded me of Noah from uh, Xenoblade 3. He does look a lot like, yeah, like Noah from, from Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Yeah, I was like, man, they're taking some serious inspiration here. We've got the ponytail, got the sword, <laughs> the whole deal. I like it. Okay. So anyway, went with him, um, and I, I found that in Octopath Traveler 1, the warrior was one of the last um, characters that I unlocked. Mm -hmm. So I went around for a long time with a really weak warrior, and I think that made my, uh, my game a little tougher than it was supposed to be because I didn't really have that, um, that shield, you know, or somebody yeah. who could go in and just like deal a ton of physical damage. So I wanted to start early with him, so... Um, Hikari is the second son in a uh, dynasty, and his older brother has conspired to kill the king. And uh, even though he is second born, the king wanted him to uh, Hikari to become the king. Upon learning this, the older son kills the the father and banishes Hikari. Um, tries to kill him, I guess, and then banishes him from the kingdom. So um, like every other character in this game, you know, Akari gets pissed off at a few people and then he has to go travel around for yep. <laughs> 100 hours so that he can get revenge on those few people. Yep. I mean, yeah, not a not a bad description. No, uh, I love it. Like 
I don't know if you guys ever skipped any of the chapter ones. I skipped a couple of the chapter ones just to move through it a little quicker after the first few. But um, if you skip through them, you go from like just meeting somebody <laughs> to them being like, oh, are you a traveler? Let me travel with you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I like yep. you when you get uh, Agnia, when you run into her town, if you don't pick her first, um, you find a wallet on the ground. And if you play her story, you know, like her whole thing is she saved up 10,000 leaves, which are the in-game currency, to go be a star, to go travel and be a star. Um, well, turns out before she left town, she lost it. Um, and one of the other travelers picks it up and she just goes, and her sister comes around and says, can you take my sister with you? Because um, someone needs to look out for her because she's she's a little bit spacey. And it's a completely different read on the character when you get her later than when you play her story and see her like motivations for the, it's very weird and and sort of disorienting seeing how they come together how they justify that in each other's stories but um it's interesting that you went the opposite route from octopath one because i stuck with the same path i mean um you know i was a scholar yeah i went with cyrus i like magic users in most of these games i prefer magic casters i play a you know red mage black mage summoner in final fantasy 14 and you know that's kind of like my go-to um i also found in the first game um cyrus to be pretty overpowered with his ability to um unlock weaknesses as he fights monsters like automatically get a free weakness plus magic is relatively strong for breaking in a lot of these uh encounters um so i went with oswald um oswald is a I guess, um, imprisoned, disgraced former academic who is seeking, you know, uh, the mysteries to uh, the source of magic, the true source of magical energy in the Octopath universe. Um, he is betrayed by uh, someone close to him. His family is killed um, and he is imprisoned for their murder. Um, it's the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and later on with some dashes of Full Metal Alchemist and uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, you, you pick your poison uh, reference points for um, angry man seeks revenge, right? It's a, he's a kind of a one note character, but he grows quite a bit um, in his side stories and the uh, travel banter more so I think than in his actual narrative in some ways, but he's a character that starts out kind of one note stays that way most of the game, but has some really interesting revelations later on. Yeah. It took um, me a while um, to get through his story because you have to do the first two chapters at yes. the same time and i, I was mm -hmm. kind of like put off by it like i didn't really want to do it at first because i didn't <laughs> want to do two whole chapters um and he has a single note the entire time also um super overpowered i think yes he's very powerful um he's you know he gets outshone by quite a few characters like hikari is probably the most overpowered in the game if you build him right Sure, um, but um, he's definitely for most of the game and for random encounters, he's you know icing on the cake. It's great. Um, yeah, those so those were our three, right? We picked Ag Agnia the dancer, uh, Oswald the scholar, Hikari the warrior, and then there's um, probably who turned out to be my favorite character, uh, Particio Yellowtail the merchant, um, a weird. A uh, little Southern capitalist who kind of wants to be a communist um, is kind of an interesting dude. Um, 
like he's he's like an accidental communist throughout much of the game, which I think is super cool. Um, but uh, just a, a joy of a character. The voice uh, acting got, just drove me nuts, though. I get it. I get it. I love it. I think it's charming. Uh, right? What were your thoughts on on Particio in particular? Because this is a character that I absolutely fell in love with. So I'm just curious thoughts. Yes, I had this sort of weird relationship trying to understand what exactly are his motivations. Like, is uh-huh. he a capitalist? Is he like you know low key socialist or communist? Like, it seems <laughs> like he genuinely wants to help people and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, bring equity to access for this like awesome steam technology yeah. so like okay i'll buy it i guess it what was weird is like chapter four was like split across multiple locations and i think it mm-hmm. was related to like all these different like um like fulfillment quests that we yes. had to do that weren't necessarily like battles or anything like that there were some battles i think the last um chapter of um Particio's, uh story at least the mainline story was um a, a big battle uh but anyway um Yes. Um, I ended up really liking his character. I thought he was not the best in battle. So I would kind of begrudgingly add him to my team thinking, okay, yeah. how do I optimize his stats? Oh, well, I have to kind of grind him to like level up the uh, scholar and um, uh, cleric uh, skills just so I can say that he has all of those <laughs> skills. Uh, so yeah, I would Sometimes he, it would be a chore to have him on my team because otherwise uh, his yeah. stats are kind of mid, <laughs> to be totally honest. I will say he is a powerhouse support character. Donate BP becomes one of the most overpowered moves in the game, late game. Um, and his hired help ability where you can spend money to summon in uh, people, really good late game. He's garbage early game. 100 um, percent you know speaking of money though this game like octopath one money is hard to come by it is i tough. never wanted to tough. use that that move of his you got to do a lot of grinding you got to do a lot of stealing it's yeah it's tricky um but so yeah he's an interesting character in that he requires you to have like some resources to actually be beneficial and can be a tricky one to build uh, as Ray pointed out um in addition to that, we've got Throne, the thief. I'm just going to run through these real quick so we can move on to the next stuff. Um, Temenos, who is a cleric. He's sort of an inquisitor. Um, Throne is a thief who um, is trying to break away from her you know, her uh, order that she's kind of trapped with within. Temenos is the inquisitor. He's a cleric investigating corruption in the church. Uh, Casti, who is an apothecary trying to recover her lost memory. She wakes up with amnesia at the beginning of the game um, and tries to uncover what her life was about and a sinister plot that might have involved her in the past. Um, and then Ochet, who is just a lovely spark of joy of a cat girl hunter who lives in the woods um, or in the, in the jungle and befriends uh, wonderful furry woodland creatures um, and horrifying monsters throughout the game. Um, those wonderful are summary. the eight characters, uh, you know, their narratives again, largely siloed from each other for most of the game. Um, if you play through the end game, I think it very satisfyingly ties them together, but we'll get to that later. Um, but thoughts on this, you know, just, I kind of want to hit you first only because I know you've got stronger opinions about this towards the negative side of things, right. <laughs> than I think, uh, Raya and myself have. So, um, I know that Ray and I are pretty, we're pretty, you know, uh, up on this game. So, you know, the lack of connection between the eight narratives thoughts on that, did it feel too, did it feel worse, better than Octopath one, the same, where, where are you at on that? I think it was there was more connection there than there was with Octopath one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciated that like, that was one of the big criticisms that um, 
you know, Team Asano got about the first one and they yeah. tried to make amends. But, you know, at a certain point, like this game, that's that's what it is. It is these small vignettes and you're moving from character mm-hmm. to character. Like Matthew, when I was playing through it, I was like, no wonder Matthew likes this so much. It's basically <laughs> a, a saga game. Saga Frontier? Yeah. yeah. The, and I mean... no wonder why I don't like it that much, right? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, Rhea, where were, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, in the first game, did it bother you the siloing so much? I know you said it was kind of a nitpick about the first one. How are your thoughts on Octopath 2's sort of eight narratives? Yeah, um, I think the strides that the developers took to integrate the characters' stories a little bit more, offering mm-hmm. more travel banter, like we discussed yeah. earlier, I think that there was some intention around making it a more a unified experience and more believable that these folks are traveling together. So yes, uh, I do see that there is improvement. I I personally like the travel banter a lot because I get to yeah. experience the characters' personalities and how they interact with one another. Even if it's just you know a little nothing dialogue about them drinking together in the tavern right. or um, uh, the little quips that uh, like Ochet and Casty have like during their. Um, their side stories mm-hmm. and like their big sister, little sister dynamic. Um, seeing that is for me very um, emotionally fulfilling. And that's yeah. what I look for in a lot of um, the RPGs that I get super duper invested in. So I, this is enough for me to like remain engaged and the stories right. are compelling enough and varied that I'm, I stay interested to see how they play out. I would love to see how, uh, additional follow-ups to the series continue to make these um, these character interactions more substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a great uh, you know start on that road, in my opinion. Yeah. So with the side stories, right? Because there's there's four side stories. I guess eight in total because they've each got two parts. But there's these these side stories in the game, right? Where two characters link up and have a small side quest, maybe an hour long or so each time, um, and it gives you a little more insight into both of the characters' perspectives on the world their personalities and their histories in interesting ways and they pair up really unique pairings you know for example throne the thief gets paired with temenos the inquisitor the the you know the religious uh you know fanatic and that's a very interesting and you know fraught dynamic whereas um Particio, the merchant, gets paired with the scholar, Oswald, you know, the down and out, you know, money doesn't matter. It's all about the research scholar. And they have a really interesting dynamic that they have to parse out. And that continues in the other ones. Um, But it really does build out these characters in some fascinating ways that you don't get to see in their individual narratives. Um, But the travel banter, I think, is where this game really shines. Because in the first game, there was travel banter, but it was pretty minimal. I don't remember. There wasn't a ton of it at all. It was super rare to get it and you could miss it was part of the problem in the first game now anytime you go into an inn in the game if you have characters who have hit a point in the story where they might have travel banter together and they're in the party together you can view their travel banter you leave come back you can view another travel, and so you can actually see all of the travel banter at pretty much any point you are in the game and so it creates this interesting thing where like i would spend time going into an inn See if I had any travel banter. If I didn't, I'd switch my party up a little bit, leave, come back, <laughs> see if any popped up. And I would spend like 30, 40 minutes every now and then just in and out of the inn, checking in on all the travel banter that I missed. And there's some really, you know, interesting stuff in there. You know, Ray, as you pointed out, um, 
you know, some of it is just like, hey, you know, we're drinking in the pub. We're having a good time. There's one more casty um, like taunts Particio about uh, making him think that he got really drunk and they did some stuff together, um, which is pretty funny because he's very gullible and, and easy to, to mess with. So she plays a trick on him and it really shed some insight into Casty's sort of playful nature that you don't get in her story. Um, but there's one late game, right, that I think really stands out about what this game does well, which is these really small moments in these larger narratives where... These are, you know, five chapters long for each of the stories. And a lot of it is travel, dungeon, fight, right? Um, path actions, whatever it might be. But there's moments of really compelling narrative. And there's one travel banter um, between Particio, Casti, or sorry, uh, Oswald, Casti, and uh, Agnea that happens late game, where you learn some stuff about Oswald's relationship with his wife and his daughter, right? Where they're drinking in in the pub and Oswald's drunk and he's, you know, hallucinating a little bit. And, and it's this really deep, heartfelt conversation where he's, you know, being as open and vulnerable as he's been in the entire game. And you only get that if you've got these three characters in your party and you've hit a certain point in the story where you know what happens to his family. Um, and it's really cool to see that they took the time to say, we know you want more, like we still want these to be these really unique vignettes so these characters can be fleshed out in their own right, but we want to give you some perspective on how these characters relate to each other in ways that are really fascinating. And so I think the game improves on that quite a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of like add on to that too. I love how like, although everyone comes from like either darker or more... Um, I guess, wholesome backgrounds across the spectrum. Everyone is generally accepting and um, welcoming to one another. Like for to your point, um, uh, Oswald, sorry, I have the names of the characters pulled up on my phone. So yeah, like his story is very dark, uh, mm -hmm. especially like uh, chapter one where talking to all the prisoners and why they're, uh, you know, there, like that was like, that was like gut wrenching, mm -hmm. like, you know, content for me personally, I was shook. Um, but yeah, just knowing that that was, you know, that was his character and also Hikari's story as well, being very tragic, having his father murdered by his brother and all this other stuff, like, um, and then having them, um, interact with more lighthearted characters like Particio and, um, Agni. Um, yeah, like the specific example you mentioned about that vulnerability of like Oswald only being, ex um, shown, uh, in that, um, in that travel banter with uh, Cassie and Agni, like those are the things that I love seeing, uh, not just, you know, the additional content and dialogue, but also, yeah, to your point about learning more about these characters mm -hmm. and seeing that they are multidimensional. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so for the sake of time, we're going to move forward into talking about the gameplay. Cause I think that's where the chunk, you know, the, the, big most important stuff that people are probably going to be interested in to hear about in this is how does the game play right we've talked about the story largely um some quibbles about the siloed narratives but overall right a very compelling narrative that ties together the characters pretty well without spoiling much i will say if your is issues with the first game was that it didn't feel like it was related the late game in this one really does i think have a satisfying uh conclusion to those narratives that ties them together well um we'll talk more maybe towards the end of this as we wrap up but gameplay wise this game is essentially broken down into two distinct halves you have the path action route and the combat route right um combat in this game pulls pretty heavily from bravely default which uses a brave slash default system where you could stock up um 
uh, you know, attacks and spend them all at once, or you could go into a deficit um, by spending them before you stocked them and then have to sit out a few turns, right, while you regained your energy. Um, Octopath uses a similar system with a little blend of Persona or Shin Megami Tensei in there as well, in which you can stock up points, right? They're called boost boost point or uh, is it battle points or boost points? I think uh, boost points. I think I think they're called boost points. Um, you can stock up BP, which are again boost points. You get up to I think five of those, and you can burn three of them at a time. Um, and once you do that, it allows you to strengthen certain moves or do multi attacks for various uh, options. And this is all in service of the break system, right? This is the boost break battle system. The break system is targeting enemy weaknesses in order to break a shield that they have, which is given a certain number of points depending on the enemy. Once that shield is broken, all attacks become uh, increased damage and easier to crit. And so there's an incentive to strategically build your party and approach combat encounters in a way that forces you to think about the weaknesses of your enemies, the build of your your party and how to quickly break their shield while balancing a uh, you know a turn tracker that can allow you to get extra turns if you're savvy with when you break and how you break them. Um, general thoughts on this combat system because I think to me this is what is most interesting about the game. Like I love the story, I love the characters, but at the end of the day, with you know Justin to your point, the siloed narratives can make it really hard to keep invested. But I find the moment-to-moment gameplay to be so compelling that I can push through that. So thoughts on that from you guys. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just going to open the floor. What are your thoughts on the, the combat system here? The job system, the battle system, we can talk all of it. Rhea, you're the I'll, guest. Go ahead. I'll, I feel like I've been dominating the chat. I want to hear Justin, you know, um, talk about some of his feedback because I know like you're a bit more critical on, on the game overall. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> but you're Nazi. Um, listen, I think that the combat system is the strongest thing about this game. And it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite combat systems in all of turn-based combat. I loved uh, the Bravely series. And I think I might like Octopath's battle system even more. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get to be super strategic. Um, like Matthew, you mentioned that you can actually see, you know, in the the um, turn bar or whatever, like who's coming up. So you can be yeah. super strategic about like never letting your enemies attack, right? Or yeah. um, focusing on particularly strong enemies over some of the, the weaker ones because you know where they, uh, like what the cadence of their attacks are. Love that. Love the transparency there too. Um, it's it's a almost perfect battle system that is only let down by the fact that the game still has random encounters. Okay. Okay. Right? Like I love playing with this battle system. I hate doing it every three steps. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think the, depending on like they have abilities, skills, if you have certain characters that minimize the amount of combats, make it easy to escape. from combat. But I think you're right. If you don't take um, Oswald and level him up pretty quick um, early on, you are getting random encounters every maybe five to 10 steps um, in some cases. I mean, yeah. uh, Ray, how'd you feel about the, the sort of cadence there? Did it feel a little overwhelming as far as the number of random encounters and stuff like that? Because I know that's a big gripe for a lot of RPG players. Or did you feel that it was it balanced it pretty well? I personally feel like it was balanced, but again, my favorite RPG series is Pokemon. So that's well known for its random encounters. Maybe not in the last few years, but um, yes, like I'm already kind of conditioned 
to ex- yeah. to expect that. I think for me, um, the biggest learning curve jumping into Octopath and having mm-hmm. uh, not a huge like repertoire of RPG experience just from growing up only having so many titles and series exposed to me, um, not having a health bar in Octopath yeah. um, was a little jarring at first, but in Octopath uh, 2, uh, I... I felt totally empowered to just, you know, jump into the game, not even knowing how much health uh, my enemies had because of the uh, intuitiveness of the battle system, knowing like how the exposing their weaknesses. Okay. Yeah. Let me Mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, hammer, you know, dagger moves on this, on this um, enemy for a few turns and then eventually build up my, um, my, my boost points. And then I forget the name of the, the second uh, boost that you build up, um, the latent powers? Yes, yeah. that. So, oh yeah, like three three boost points and the uh, full latent bar. Yes, just like, you know, obliterate. <laughs> so things yeah. like that are super fulfilling for me. And I actually have the, um, the skills for my current team uh, to have more rare monsters uh, up yeah. here. So even more <laughs> random encounters because yes. I'm in that mode where um, uh, I don't want to finish the story yet because I'm enjoying grinding with my team too yeah. much. So yeah. yes, um, yeah, I, I personally am a fan of that. Oh and man, the random cool encounters. Like... It's so funny. Ahead, uh, it's just so funny you've mentioned that, Raya. Like, you know, loving Pokemon, not minding these random encounters. I kept thinking... Oh my god, this is like the Zubat uh cave from Yes, constant Zubat cave. Yeah, yep. I was like, yep. it's like every few steps. And then I was texting with Matthew about it because I was complaining, like, this is awful, man. How do, how do you like this game so much? And he was like, Well, are you running? And I was like, Yeah. And he goes, Is it nighttime? And I was like, Yeah. And he goes, Do you have Oswald yet? And I was like, No. And he goes, Well, there you go. It's gonna be random encounters like all the time. And sure enough. Yeah. That's what it was. And that's really interesting because the game has a day-night cycle, right? So you can switch between day and night anytime. Nighttime has stronger, more frequent encounters. Daytime has weaker, fewer encounters. Um, you can tailor, like you said, certain characters have moves that allow you to have advantage when you start attacks more regularly, to not be you know, surprised, to start with uh, the first turn every time for any character with a certain move. Um, you can also lower the rate of random encounters with items and character skills and raise them if you want with items and character skills. So the game does... You know, I think the the earliest hours are the roughest in this game when you're gathering the eight party members, when you're playing through like the relatively weak first chapters. I don't now again, I think the first chapters are great. I think they're weak in the overall narrative. If you look at each character's like five chapters, it's the weakest one, but it still find it compelling. But if you didn't find a certain character compelling, it could make for a really rough maybe first 10 hours or so in this game because it does take a while to gather your party. Um, and think- not having access to all those abilities makes it hard to know what's the best way to build a team because there are eight characters with eight jobs plus four secret jobs that you unlock later and you get subclasses. So you can build a system where you've got pretty much whatever team you want with any weird mishmash of weaknesses, strengths, you know, different abilities, you know, high combat parties, high defense parties, high, you know, support parties, whatever you want to do. And it can be a little overwhelming in that way, which is maybe the the biggest knock against the gameplay here is that there are a lot of systems, not even getting into latent powers, which shake up each individual character in very significant ways. I also wanted to add um, the recommended li- uh, levels um, <laughs> are a complete lie. Um, anytime there's um, a pop-up that says recommended level, um, like 
level 53 or something like that. Uh, you should probably be like around level 70 for just 70. It's so, <laughs> it's so weird because like I've heard I've heard that side and then I've heard other people that are like they're they're a lie. You can do it at like 20 levels lower than that. And I'm like what is like but I think that speaks to what's so great about this game is that it is you know i don't i don't know the phrase exactly but it's that old saying about like if you spend time with it right like it's super deep it's way deeper than it looks on the surface and if you know how to break the system which is something i love about a good rpg that lets you play with its systems in a way that breaks the game and sort of trivializes it um you know late game there were bosses that i did not allow them to attack until they went into their second phase. And as soon as their second phase started, they died to a tick of poison. Like <laughs> they didn't attack me once because I broke the game so badly with my party setup. And there were other fights where my party setup was so poorly thought out that I went into it 20 levels over and got stomped. Like it's, it's really interesting to see the different perspectives on that. Right. Cause I had moments like that, especially in the first couple chapters right, where I was like, there's no way I'm I'm this is a 14 and I'm like 25 with most of my characters and I'm getting just crushed by these bosses turns out bad party build right like it's so it's it's so wild to see that yeah and just like to add on to that um it I told I had this like repressed memory that just sort of like flashed back to my brain randomly I'm (laughs) like okay how did I get past all these challenges back in like 2018 2019 whenever I played Mm -hmm. Octopath 1 I'm like Oh, it's because I summoned a bunch of hired help. <laughs> I had yeah. like uh, my useless characters, like my merchants and um, my clerics who couldn't, who didn't have like very good defense or, you know, offense or whatever. And I had them summon their help on top of, you know, mm-hmm. causing like ailments or other uh, things that could help uh, uh, further uh, deteriorate the the boss just to like make my, my hitters, like the warriors um, and uh, the... Uh, the scholars like go ham on them with like, you know, high OP attacks. So to your point, yeah, it's all about strategy. It's all about just, you know, like figuring out, okay, how to set yourself up for success before you enter those battles. So yes, I can understand how the, the lower level folks who are savvy on that right away were able to make it work. But for me, if I just jump in, like, um, and and there's no strategy around how you approach it, then yeah, like I'm going to have a bad time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Um, So, uh, Justin, did you have anything to add on the combat side of things? Anything you wanted to to add in there? No, uh, just, well, this is sort of related, but going back to what you were saying about just those first few chapters being kind of a grind outside of combat, um, I think if if you're interested in playing this game and you haven't picked it up yet, um, you may be disappointed in those first few chapters because I think the pacing is off in the story. Lots Mm -hmm. of random encounters. If you're not familiar with the battle system, it can be, you know, interesting to pick up and learn how to play. Lots of systems to figure out. But I think the the biggest problem is the pacing. Um, Mm -hmm. You're getting new characters um, almost all the time. They're starting at level one. So you're not only are you grinding like your main character, but you're having to like basically start over with seven other brand new characters, learning what they're good at, building them up, optimizing your party, right? Um, I think there, Octopath Traveler 1 and 2 just gives you so many reasons and opportunities to bounce off early on. And I think that's yeah. a, a huge weakness for the game. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair critique of it because I there's the there is an issue where if you if you have 
other things pulling your attention away, there are many opportunities where that's, you know, that's viable, right? Because you can put the game down, which I also find to be a strength of the game, right? So it, oh, Justin fell out, but uh, there we go. Um, I also find that it, it sort of balances, you know, the scales a little bit in that as a game that I played on my Switch, right? I could play for a chapter, experience about an hour, hour and a half, put it down, be done with it, right? Set it away for the night. I was good. Uh, any more than that, and I felt a little overwhelmed by, uh, you know, the 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 you know pacing and stuff like that. And so I think that like if you approach it as I want to go like a five hour session of dragon quests, right. Where I can, you know, grind through a, a huge dungeon, do some overworld travel, get to a town, clear a story beat. You might be a little disappointed in this game that the story beats are a little bit shorter, right. That they, they conclude a little bit faster and then you're jumping from one character to another character pretty rapidly. Um, but overall, I think that, that pacing can be, if you're the kind of character who person who likes when the, sh- this, you know, stuff, shakes up every now and then like i do um it helps actually keep you invested so it's a kind of a double-edged sword a little bit there um you know Rayo, how did you feel about that is that the, the pacing issues did that was that something that kind of uh bothered you or did you feel like it worked pretty well I thought it worked well for the exact same reasons you mentioned. I can play one hours, two hours, and there are clear in-game moments where it's like this chapter ends or um, I reach this point in this uh, story or this milestone where like, oh, I found this secondary secondary job or I found this um, point where I can like actually say like, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and like, you know, call it a day here. And I feel good because it's almost like the game is validating me taking a break yes. in other in other instances where there's just like an open world narrative and you can like, you know, uh, conquer any any side quest at any time you want um, or go on the main quest anytime you want. This game kind of has that as well. But because of those uh, chapter markers, uh, it's more of uh, kind of a signal for me like that the game is. Uh, allowing me to just sort of like pause and just sort of like have this like uh, the conclusion of what I just did resonate for a little bit. So like at least like that's how I interpret it. So I'm a fan of that. We got some some technical issues, but um, so let's talk a little bit. You know, we've talked combat, but now let's talk about the both the path actions, right? Which is the system of essentially four actions you can do outside of combat. There is gather information, recruit. Uh, you know, lackey, steal something from somebody, um, knock somebody unconscious, right? So these are four actions that your characters can do. There's like a day and night version of them. So like each character has two actions and you can mix your party up to, uh, There's, I think there's only two uh, party compositions that result in having all of the actions available to you. But you basically can mix and match characters. So during the day, certain characters will appear on the map in various places. They might be blocking entrances that you need to get to. They might be carrying an item that you want to get. And depending on who you've got in your party, you can either uh, bribe them for that by giving them money. You can convince them to give it to you via Agnia's fame. You can steal it by mugging them with Oswald or have um, thrown a just uh, take it with a percentage chance. You can talk people into joining Particio to help him with bartering and in combat or Agnia can have fans follow her around. Like these are these systems that allow you to engage with the world and overcome certain, like, I guess puzzles, right? 
Um, but they play heavily into the world building of this game. So I kind of want to merge this into the next point, which is like the world building of Octopath Traveler. Because something that I found myself spending a lot of time with, I just kind of want to know your thoughts on this, um, were the towns in this game. I don't know about you. I'm a huge fan of JRPG, of RPG towns in general. I want RPGs to have big, bustling towns full of people. And a lot of games really disappoint on that end. But I don't think Octopath does. You can interact with pretty much every character in there. And there's dozens of people in dozens of towns throughout this game um, that you can learn stuff about, that you can steal items from, that you can recruit to help you out, you know. How did you feel about the path actions, generally speaking? And then how do you think that, you know, the world building of having all these characters feel alive in these towns, you know, adds to the experience? Yeah. So, like, in regards to how the the NPCs are integrated in the overall story, Mm -hmm. I love that I'm able to talk to them, either it be um, just to... um, like random dialogue from them, or if they have like a subquest associated with them, I could also recruit the subquest people too, which I really like. I like that I can yeah. rob them. <laughs> yes. um, I like that I can battle them and learn skills from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, to your point, uh, these ma- it makes the NPCs multifaceted as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like I, I have uh, uh, almost as meaningful interactions with the NPCs as I would in like a whole. A chapter of one of the um one of the travelers uh, uh storylines so yeah. for me i i really appreciate that and when i am able to have the the npc interaction actually influence another part of the story in that uh village or city or whatever where like oh i um i'm able to complete the subquest and it also grants me access to another um, either item or piece of information that mm-hmm. can help me fulfill even more subquests, um, like in another yeah. town or something. Yes. So I think that that is something that I, I spend a lot of time actually not even, um, battling or fulfilling the, or completing the, the mainline story, just like the subquests with the, yeah. with the NPCs. So I spend a lot of time doing that, but I will say that I wish that there was more of a, um, uh, I guess more of a cohesive way for me to be able to reference open subquests and yes. be able to tell where exactly this person is or what they asked for. Um, right, and then I right. can check if I have that item for them. I, I have a feeling it's there, but maybe I'm not reading it correctly, but it's just not intuitive for me personally. So mm-hmm. yes, something in the UI that could improve that would be much appreciated overall though, how, um, how multidimensional the NPCs are is such a, it's something that I didn't even know I wanted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, it, it's interesting because like this reminds me more of like a, like a tabletop RPG, like a Dungeons and Dragons experience, right? Or uh, which, you know, it, to, to sort of piggyback on that, like the old NES uh, Final Fantasies and Dragon Quest and things like that, where a lot of the story, a lot of the game was, talking to npcs and just like stumbling upon quests like you go to a town you talk to the tavern keeper and all of a sudden you hear about you know a quest or someone who needs your help and you don't know who this person is you have no idea where they are there's no map marker to direct you to them but eventually you know you stumble your way around long enough you find them right and this this series of sort of like almost um just 
happenstance quests sort of start popping up throughout the narrative um that game that's how this feels like they they wanted to make the side quest a little bit opaque so you have to remember okay i remember there was a guy in that town across the ocean who was talking about this thing maybe if i head over there right i'll, I'll find you know the piece that i'm looking for um you know on top of this some of the, just the coolest town designs i've seen i mean the the different biomes are incredibly diverse there's tons of different areas there's snow areas there's you know uh rainforest jungles there are industrializing cities there are old western ghost towns like it has a whole lot of really cool uh people and places to explore that so much of the game um that could be devoted to just like hey you go from a to b you fight a bunch of things the dungeons are these streamlined sort of linear zones which again Big shout out to the developers for listening to feedback from the first game. The dungeons are much more manageable this time around. They were way too long in the first game. Um, I think that the story quests, right, that would just be like, go to the town, use your path action, enter a dungeon, fight a boss, repeat ad nauseum throughout um, is something they really shook up, which helps make the world feel more alive. Because now you've got like, you know, I think you pointed out uh, earlier, you know, there's entire chapters with Particio where you don't fight anything no bosses you're just traveling you're exploring you're meeting people um i think agnia has a couple chapters that are similar to this where there's not really any combat encounters it's just like go to a town i think what is it her second chapter or third where you help out just like a traveling troop of uh like shakespearean actors basically yep like it's cool right the 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 game just kind of lets the world breathe in ways that a lot of games these days don't um for a game that's pretty low budget it seems like i mean I don't know. Did you have any any more thoughts on like the the world building or like the level design of this game? Anything that stands out to you? No, I think uh, we covered a lot of like yeah. the top level points that I wanted to for sure. Yeah. Um. So we talked a little bit about the depth of field early in the game. You know, one thing that I, I I get like you were talking about how like when you're traveling through dungeons, sometimes it's really hard to tell like the foreground background how to get from you know one path to the back path to find the trip. Like one thing that I like about that is um what this style does that other games can't is it allows these dungeons to feel way bigger than they actually are um you know with that layering of the foreground and background so you've got these relatively compact spaces that are like two or three times as big as they appear because of the depth of field and the different you know vertical and horizontal orientation that they use which i think is really cool um that's just kind of like a, a little aside but I kind of want to wrap this up and get to our, you know, the end of this conversation, just because we've been going on for a little while. I know you've, you know, you've been a great sport sticking around with my gushing over this game, but um, I'm right we, there with you. I am I gushing all over this game as well. Um, so that brings me to my last bit. You know, um, I forced Justin to talk about this on pretty much any game that has a killer soundtrack, but this game has one of the best soundtracks um in an rpg in a in a hot minute i think right what are your thoughts on the music how does it you know does it work for you are you enjoying the fact that each of the characters have their own unique themes that there's a variety of battle themes and overworld and town themes day night cycles and all of that um what are your thoughts the standout track for me is the um the urban uh daytime very like light jazzy yeah 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 yes oh my Isn't gosh that, is that throne's um town i think so yes one? yeah like yes i love it and um it makes me feel like this town is just um full of like 
actually like living, breathing, yeah. you know, like commerce, like uh, inhabitants, um, just like there's a yes, there's just like a sense of like atmosphere and life that comes through that music whenever I hear it. And I just get pumped to just like yeah. explore around the city and talk to all the NPCs again. So that's yeah. um, the standout track for me. Standout track for me is uh, Particio's theme. It has this this just soothing jazz sax that goes into like uh, a real uh, steely guitar about uh, you know thirty forty seconds in. Just a, a, a real banger of a track. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, but the to me the the thing that's really great about this is like Square Enix has always had really good composers. They've always done a really good job with their soundtracks. You know, um, Nobuo Uematsu is probably the most famous composer of video games ever. Um, but they've got a lot of new, younger talent coming in in recent years. And this composer, uh, Yasunori Nishiki, um, also did the first game and the mobile spinoff, um, is just putting out some of what I think is maybe the best music out there. So if you like... Um, you know, JRPG music, if you like uh, RPG music in general, especially the stuff coming out of Square Enix, you got to check the game out just for that perspective. I think it's uh, it's a really good soundtrack. I think it's like six hours or so long if you break down all the individual tracks. It's it's hefty, hefty stuff. So um, that brings me to just the last question. Final thoughts. Is this a game you would recommend? Is this something that, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to put a score on it. We don't typically do that. But if you want to, you're welcome to. But thoughts on it. Where does it land for you as far as this year, the last couple of years? And would you recommend it to people who maybe bounced off the first game or fans of the first game? What do you think? I think for folks who have grown up with turn-based combat and random encounters, will be more acclimated to give this game a shot. But if you're someone who has a lot more experience with modern games, this might be a harder sell for you. Maybe there are gamers who grew up with those mechanics, like the um, like the ones Justin mentioned he does, is not a fan of. Um, but I think for folks who, who are okay with it, like I am, like with the random-based encounters and who still revisit those classic experiences, um, I would recommend it to the to those folks, like the folks who mostly play retro games, for example, or retro yeah. RPGs. There are a lot of folks that I interact with who I, who I think would get a lot of value from this game in particular. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if you're into like the retro game space, for sure. But um, but yeah, if you're a retro, if you're a fan of retro games, but you're also very acclimated into modern games and a lot of the quality of life improvements in those uh, in, in, a little, in a lot of games in like recent years, this might be a harder sell for you. Um, so, so. So, yes. Yeah, that's my yeah. that's my suggestion. I think that's a really good way to put it is there there are some some steps backwards from recent RPG you know, um, conventions, right? There's been a big shift away from turn base, especially away from random encounters, um, that this game could be pressure points for, for players, right? Um, and I think, you know, if we're thinking about drawbacks, that and some of the early pacing are maybe the biggest drawbacks of this game. I will say that I, I do think that if you are a fan of jrpg combat though right even if random encounters are not your thing i think the combat system here is kinetic enough and varied enough that even if the random encounter rates are a little a little high um you can tailor it after a few hours to make it a more manageable and b um the combat system itself carries the game well enough to to kind of overcome some of those stumbling blocks again 
if you have interest in or grew up playing, you know, classic RPGs, that's probably an easier sell. Not for everyone, but I will say compared to Octopath Traveler 1, I think it's for more people would be the the way I would put it. So, I mean, I think we talked about this jokingly with with Justin before the episode started. Um, you know, I don't know that it's so much a joke, but to me currently, this is um, sitting at my game of the year. If I had to, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to land there at the end of the year. I mean, we got a, a killer slate of games coming out um, over the next, you know, uh, nine months or so. But at present, um, maybe my favorite JRPG or my favorite RPG, I should say, in the last decade i think i think it's safe to say um so your thoughts where you know is this is is that is it ranking highly on your games of the year at this point it is uh pretty much my game of the year so far uh for sure and i don't uh have that many other games that i can kind of compare it to that i feel just impassioned to just continue to to revisit it i think it's the uh, the chapter markers that that I mentioned before, where I feel like the game is allowing me to take a break <laughs> and I don't yes. feel that pressure to just have like huge spans of game time invested into like this um, open world experience. Um, so for me, in my in my present lifestyle, for sure, like Octopath Traveler fits in uh, perfectly with that. Yeah. So, yeah, a great game if you're limited on time. Um, and I mean, yes, it's, you know, let's not mince words it's an 80 to 100 hour experience to see the final credits it's long um but if you like to play games over a long period of time if you like to have something you could sit back and get cozy with from time to time you got 80 or 90 you know 80 to 100 days of an hour of gameplay where every one of those hours you'll feel like you've accomplished something um and i think that's valuable especially in uh if you're an owner of the switch and you like to play your games you know on the go this game really fits that system very very well so i mean that pretty much covers our thoughts on octopath traveler 2 i mean really appreciate you coming here to chat with us about this i needed someone else to gush with me about this glorious game yes um, but before we let you go we always like to end an episode of the pod with our game recommendations of the week you know this is um traditionally nintendo focus because we are a nintendo watcher however we always allow guests and ourselves from time to time to branch out it does not have to be a game it does not need to be um nintendo focused but a recommendation that you're making for the week it can be a game it can be a movie or a tv show whatever you want to recommend um what are you interested what are you enjoying right now hmm well currently i am I need to catch up on Mandalorian. The latest episode dropped uh, today. And I would definitely recommend folks to check out the demo for Sea of Stars. It's an indie uh, uh, RPG title that is launching later this year. And it's very reminiscent of um, Chrono Trigger. And Mm -hmm. it has a three-character battle system uh, that is turn-based. Um, the mechanics are uh, a little more like strategic as well, uh, similar to what we were talking about with Octopath Traveler, where you can actually um, uh, have some more strategy as opposed to just it being um, uh, turn-based and you choose to either use like um, an offensive or a magic-based attack. Like you can actually like um, have uh, different variables. Uh, there are different variables that can make it more... Um, uh, where you can like time your moves a little bit more around different different enemies, uh, depending on who you're battling. And um, I would also say that it has some uh, 
uh, Legend of Zelda-esque uh, dungeon mechanics as well. So if you're interested yeah. in like the puzzles of like exploring classic uh, Zelda uh, Zelda style dungeons, that's present in the demo too. And I think the uh, demo experience is maybe two to three hours. So yeah, uh, Sounds about right. I think you can uh, get a fair idea of if you would enjoy the full experience or not from that one ex- from that yeah. one demo. Yeah, great recommendation. Um, I have not played the demo, um, not for lack of desire. I I kickstarted the game, so I me too. I, yeah, so I want nothing. I don't want to. I don't want to see or hear any of it. I want to wait until it comes out. I want to play it from start to finish uh, without you know having having experienced any of it yet. Um, you know, excited to see my my tombstone somewhere in the game. Uh, it'll be exciting to see, um, but. Uh, that's a game that I know that Justin and I are both very excited for as well. So that's super cool. Um, my recommendation this week is, uh, you know, a gem of a game that I've been playing. I am, you know, Nintendo watchers, resident Bayonetta fan, um, Bayonetta origins. If you like a cozy, chill, relaxing nighttime game, um, you got to check this thing out. It's, it reminds me of like, you know, again, we, we have Zelda as a touchstone, um, uh, you know, dungeon wise, it, it kind of reminds me of like exploring a, like, uh, Ico, um, you know, the, the Sony, uh, PlayStation two game Ico, um, as well as like Zelda style dungeon, uh, exploration. Um, but you control Bayonetta and, uh, her puppet, uh, Cheshire. Um, it's got a really interesting, control system where the left half of the controller controls Bayonetta and her moves the right half controls Cheshire and his moves he does all the combat she does most of the exploration and um, you know uh, magic based uh, abilities and uh, so you're you're having to kind of solve puzzles do little fun combat encounters in a really lush storybook uh, you know watercolor uh, aesthetic and it's just a an easy chill relaxing game not overly difficult not overly long or complicated but um, the kind of game that like if I need to wind down for an hour or two at the end of the night, like I'm going to sit down, I'm going to play this game and I'm just going to kind of relax for a bit and just take in the scenery. It's super good. Um, very different than any of the other Bayonetta games though. So if you're looking for a Bayonetta experience, this might not be for you, but if you like Bayonetta and you like the story and the narratives and, and you know, all the world building there, um, I think it writes some of the criticisms that people had with Bayonetta three as well. It kind of um, does a little bit of, reversion in, in places that people will appreciate but um good game great game as far as i'm experiencing it so far hopefully it continues to to hold up as i, I get a little further in but that is my recommendation um Rhea, one more time anything else you want to you know plug or pitch or, or say before we head on out here tonight um no i just appreciate y'all inviting me thank you to you matthew thank you justin and um yeah, I've just been enjoying uh, getting to know y'all, interacting with y'all, um, supporting your content. Um, I just can't wait to see, you know, what else y'all do with your platform. So are, again, thank you so much. We are so grateful for you coming on and chatting with us. Again, we love having people on to talk about, you know, the games and stuff with us. You know, you've been a huge supporter of us for a while now. Um, you know, we love the stuff that you're doing and putting out there. We love the community that you're helping build and foster. So. Again, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. This was a ton of fun. We'll have to have you back in the future when we've got, you know, maybe the next Pokemon game or something coming out. But uh, until then, you know, this has been Nintendo Watcher. Have a lovely night, and we'll talk to you all again next week.